So we are continuing our series called Christmas Carols, where we're looking at some of the significant songs of the Christmas season. And there are tons of these songs that uh, I could have chosen, and really the series could be about 15 weeks because there's so much great music uh, during this time, and we get a chance to remember it together. I forgot to dismiss the kids can head across. I said Bible Adventures right now. I see some getting, getting up. But Joy to the World, the song that we just sang together, is one that, that's interesting because it really just like slams right at you, right? I mean, it just like jolts you a little bit if you allow it to. Like joy to, it just doesn't start slowly, when you're in preaching school, they tell you, you know, tell a few funny jokes and then get to the point where you're like, you know, it's like, let me tell you a story about a cat and then the atonement. Like, and you're like, whoa, how did we get there? Uh, but th- this is not how this song goes. This song just, just jolts in from the beginning, like joy to the world. The Lord is come. It crashes into our reality and it crashes into my life and your life, I'm sure, as well, where you have the chance to consider, like, okay, there's things that are imperfect about your life. There are things that are hard about your life. Do you believe that because Christ came into the world, it's enough? This song says that Jesus coming and then Jesus' eventual return, it outweighs the stuff that the world can throw at us. That there's a joy that's in your heart, that's in my heart, that can't be stopped. I think of the book of Hebrews, which tells us that Jesus goes to the cross because of what? The joy set before him. And I don't know about you, but like endurance and joy, that's usually not what comes to mind. I like happy stuff. I like it when life is pretty easy. I like it when things seem to be lining up. But this sort of song helps us, I think, to think deeply about what our joy really is and where it's rooted. Because all of us, as we come into this season, it's a season for some of us that we are very much looking forward to, but it's also a season where perhaps you have thought about some loss that you've suffered in this last year. Maybe, unfortunately, you've lost someone who you deeply loved to COVID, or you've lost someone due to politics. And as you come through this time, it's easy for you to to think about perhaps some of the brokenness that's in your heart and the brokenness that exists even within your own family. But this sort of joy is something that I think changes us and we can carry into even the imperfect nature of our lives. I love how Paul writes this in in 2 Corinthians. He says to uh, this church, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And I know, like, as you're really struggling with things, that can be hard to believe. And you can think, well, you don't know my struggles, Paul. Paul, at one point, 
he writes to the church and says, I pleaded with God to take away this thorn in my flesh. There's something that was impeding me from doing my ministry as effectively as, as I think I possibly could. And that was really difficult for me to carry. And I pleaded with God and God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you, which is just not a great response. Like, come on, but help me out with this thing. But Paul writes this for our light and momentary. There's something that we are pressing toward that far outweighs what it is that you and I are struggling with, what it is that you and I are enduring or experiencing. That's hard to believe at times, if I'm honest. But there's something powerful in this song and this story. The song itself was written in the late 1700s by a writer named Isaac Watts. And he wrote in his time about 750 songs, some of them that, that you are familiar with. Another one that he wrote is When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. So it's, it's a, he was a very prolific uh, songwriter, and uh, so much so that you would think of him as quite uh, the artist. There was a time uh, in his young life, it's told about him, it's one of those stories that who knows if it's actually true or not, but he would rhyme with everything. And so his dad told him, like, please stop rhyming. And so he said to his dad, oh, father, father, pity take, and I will know verse make. And I mean, who knows if that's actually true or not, but I like to think um, that it was. And as, as, I, as I was coming to church today, I, I saw this like sticker on a wall that I thought was, was pretty great. Uh, need beats? I can make beats for any occasion. And I feel like that's Isaac Watts. Like he just, he like had his beats. Sometimes God just gives me things on the way to church. Like I was Isaac Watts. He just like would always think in, in rhythm and come up with all of these songs. And again, you're familiar with some of, of his work, 750 songs. He wrote, he, he was constantly doing this. He was incredibly gifted. And one poem and song that he wrote in particular uh, was from this book. He wrote a book looking at the Psalms and he picked some of the Psalms and wrote about them through the lens of Jesus, basically. So, if Jesus would have been there, like this is how we would have understood this psalm together. And so specifically uh, from Psalm 98, he came up with a song. So Psalm 98, all the verses go like this. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he's done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with a harp, with the harp, and with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of a ram's horn, which I wish we still had today. Shout for joy before the Lord the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity." And Isaac Watts, reflecting on that song, writes joy to the world. The Lord is come. Watts, in his life, he knew 
difficulty. There was a woman who he loved and he proposed to, and she said no, which is never what you want to happen in that moment. And so he decided he was never going to pursue romantic love. So the rest of his life, he was single because of that. He served in a church for many years and was asked to resign because of what we would probably term mental health issues today, but it was not not really understood. Oftentimes, I feel like those who are genius level, and he was a genius, like struggle in some ways, and so he was struggling with mental health and asked to resign. But he wrote, again, some of the most beautiful music that we still sing today. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth, let all of us receive the King. This is a theme that I see consistently in the story of Christmas. In Luke chapter 1, verses 41 through 44, the Christmas story tells us this. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, Mary has received the word from the Lord that she is with child. The baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And this is John the Baptist who ends up paving the way for Jesus and Elizabeth who hasn't been able to have a child. And as this news comes, this, this baby leaps for joy. This response that it's not really possible even to control, but this baby leaps for joy at the news of Christ's coming. Or I think of the story that we know as, as the, the wise men, the, the magi, and we don't know how many of them uh, they, there were, but they are following this star, and then finally when they get to their arrival point, Matthew chapter 2, verse 10, uh, tells us this, and this is not a great translation. When they saw the star, uh, they were overjoyed, and that's a really boring translation. It's probably the translation uh, that you have in your Bible, but the actual like, literal like, meaning of that text is, when they saw the star, they joyed great joy tremendously. Which is just like, it's like you can't even explain, what is, what is this? How do you even say that? When they saw the star, they, they joyed great joy tremendously. And what a way to say it, right? Because they finally arrived. And I do know that feeling traveling with kids about getting to that point. But I mean, that is just like some, some deep joy, isn't it? They joyed great joy tremendously. This is a group, we don't really know that much about them. I know that it's commonly think, thought of that it's we three kings and they have kind of a weird song. But the, the reason that we think that there were three is because they bring three gifts. So it's possible that there were three. It's possible that there was a whole lot more. Um, there's lots of speculation exactly about who they were. It's possible they were astrologers. Um, it's 
possible that they were kings. It's possible that there were some queens in the mix. Who knows who was in this traveling party? But they receive this news, and on some level, they have a certain sense of power because they are able to travel. Estimations are that they are traveling about 500 miles by camel, which sounds pretty miserable. And so this, this round-trip journey would have taken a long time. So this, there are some people with, with some substance, like they have some stuff. They're able to make this long-distance journey. And they have some level of power. But for them, as they make this trip, they're doing it out of curiosity, out of joy, out of expectation. And so when they finally arrive at this place, they joyed with great joy tremendously because of what it means. And I think about them as opposed to King Herod. Herod hears the news that there's a possible new king in town, and he's threatened. He's nervous. And so he sends out an edict, and boys are killed. Young baby children are killed because he's nervous about what this might mean. He's filled with anxiety. He's filled with with fear. So who knows if if Herod or these group of, of traveling people have more power or not, but they are both like representative of powerful groups. And it's easy for us if we have a certain sense of power to respond with fear and anxiety when that happens. But we see from the Magi curiosity and seeking joy and looking for good. And Herod would only have to go six miles from where he is. But he doesn't do it because of how he holds his life. I think this is a message for all of us. Are we able to have soft enough hearts to see the good? Do we have soft enough hearts to explore, to be curious, to seek God's good news in the world. There are problems with your life. There are hard things about my life. And at times, it's easy for me to be King Herod and to just fill with anxiety and and to just hold up and just to to live, just holding on to all I have because I just don't know how it's going to be treated if I release it. And as I I grapple for control and I I don't allow my, my hands to be open It's easy for me to not experience the good news that Christ has come into the world. And that one day, all this stuff just isn't going to define us anymore. And the kingdoms that we can sometimes tend to and think of as most important, one day they're just not going to matter. 
Do you have the ability to, to stop and look at your life and to joy with great joy tremendously? Because, yeah, it's not perfect. But you have good things going on. You have good things to believe in. I think, unfortunately, we live in a world that doesn't do that very well. Whether you are watching CNN all the time or or Fox News or even further out along the spectrum on those things. I think just recently as we were getting news about the new variant and what that means, it was interesting to actually read the articles because the articles were basically saying we don't know anything yet. And I would say even a couple weeks after finding about it, we don't really know anything yet. Overall, it looks like it could be like, okay, we, we don't know. I'm not, I'm not a scientist. I'm not telling you uh, what my opinion, but like whenever things happen, we react in real time to them. And we're told to react and we're told to live with anxiety and fear and told like this is how you have to respond and this is how you should be. And it's just, it's constantly around us all the time. Do you believe that there's goodness even behind things that are good and we need to take them seriously and think about them? Or are we just always responding in real time? Not giving our our heart and our mind just a little bit of time to process and think and connect to something a bit deeper. Because the story of Christmas is about God coming into the world and meeting us as we are and loving us anyway. The Lord is come. I love how Paul says this in Romans chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through, through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? This is what the story of Christmas begins to tell that we are deeply loved by God despite our flaws and our brokenness. And at times that should make our hearts leap just as John the Baptist leaps in Elizabeth's womb. Because this is good news. This changes things forever. And this is what the story of Christmas begins. And isn't it better to live in that kingdom and in that reality and seeking out joy and goodness in your life, sometimes even when it's difficult. Because this story is so good. As I think about a time when, when my heart was immediately overjoyed, I was working several years ago. I interned at a church in Kansas, and as I was leaving, I was driving from L.A. out to Kansas, and uh, my mother, being the loving and wise person that she is and was, uh, she said to me, be very careful out there on the road because it's easy to go a little bit too fast. And I got a ticket going 82 and a 65 or somewhere around San Bernardino. So like not far out of town, I got a ticket. 
And I thought that was not, not all that smart. That's going to be a hard a conversation. And then the, the drive continued, and we got into Colorado. And in Colorado, it transitions from like a, a 75 zone to a 65 zone. Some of you are nodding your heads. I think that's right. This is a long time ago. But whatever, the um, speed limit had changed a bit, and I got pulled over again. And once is forgivable. Twice would not have been a good situation. And the cop comes over and he says to me, you're going a little too fast, sir. And I said, I know. And then he said, well, I just wanted to let you know that the speed limit changed here, so you want to be careful. And I just remember that feeling right there. Just like you're, you're like, okay, I was about to die and now I'm alive again. Like this, I, I was not looking forward to having to make that call, especially to someone who had literally said as I was walking out the door, be careful out there. And the person who probably was going to have to pay my ticket because I was, had no money. It's those moments, and you probably have something like that as well, when, when your heart was just sinking and you got grace. Like you were expecting condemnation. You were expecting rejection. Or you're expecting some sort of penalty. And you got grace. And that's what the Christmas story begins to tell us. That there's nothing that, that you or I could do to make God love us any less. That God is going to continue to pick us back up and dust us off. And say, this is the reality of my kingdom. And the thing about this is this is something that I believe we personally need to connect our hearts to constantly and personally need to remember. And that's what I love about the way that Isaac Watts writes this. Let every heart prepare room. Because we maybe have a list of people, you know, oh, I really wish my brother was listening to this, or I really wish, that, you know, and it's easy to go someplace else, but it is about all of us. We all need to prepare our hearts. We all need to give Christ room, and it is in the Christmas season that we once again remember to do that. Do you believe that Christ came? Do you believe that Christ died for you? And then do you believe that Christ is, is coming again? And if you do, then there are hard things in life. It doesn't make it easy. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. There's going to be things that are going to be difficult for us, but there's something that can sustain us at the heart of it all. And may we be like the, the Magi who respond not out of anxiety or fear, but they travel a great distance and they joy, great joy tremendously because of what God has done. As you come into this Christmas season, I just want you to think for a minute about 
something that gives you joy right now? So take 30 seconds and just think about something. And then I'll pray for us and thank God for all these things. God, we thank you for all of these things. We're thankful for your son, Jesus, and the life that he lived and the example that he is to all of us. I pray that during this Christmas season, we would seek your joy and think about the things that we truly are thankful for that help us to get tastes and and glimpses of heaven here now. Father, help us to live with a deep understanding of your presence and help all of us to prepare our hearts to give you room. Your son, Jesus, and I pray. Amen.